Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. Someone once said that one would go mad if one took the Bible seriously. But to take the Bible seriously, one must already be mad. Comments like these are often made by those who read difficult to understand verses and question why they're included in the Bible at all. Yet when you enter the phrase, what does the Bible say about on Google, you get about 921 million different search options to choose from. So how do we reconcile this interest we have in learning from the Bible with some of the harder to understand passages in it? That's what we explore in our current series, Say What? How Not to Read Your Bible. So let's dig deeper and continue the upward journey. So good to see you this morning. You guys keep forgetting that it's July and you keep packing this room full to the brim. Isn't that exciting to see? Look at all these folks around us. We just, it's not supposed to be... (laughs) That's fantastic. Thank you. It's not supposed to be hard to find a seat in July, especially when this week we added 100 chairs back in here, but you guys are just knocking it out. I'm so glad you're here. I don't know how you announced that you're going to preach on shrimp and people still show up. I don't know what you're thinking. That's what we're talking about today. We're in a series called Say What? You remember that? We're going through things in the Bible that you may read and say, say what? What exactly is that? We're covering uh, some great topics. We're talking about things the Bible is accused of saying. We're talking about sexism today, shrimp, slavery, science, and slaughter. So I'm excited today to talk about shrimp. Now, I'm really not talking about shrimp for 35 minutes today. Uh, We are going to talk about that, but I really want us to understand how to interpret some of those laws in the Old Testament that sound really crazy to us. And I want to recommend again uh, Dan Kimball's book, How Not to Read the Bible, for a lot of good ideas we got from it for this series. But don't you agree some of those Old Testament laws sound really crazy to our modern ears? Now, speaking of crazy-sounding laws, we have some crazy laws in the United States. In Kentucky, anybody from Kentucky here this morning? In Kentucky, state legislators, before they take office, must take an oath stating that they have never fought a duel with a deadly weapon. It's rough, apparently, out there in Kentucky today. Um, In the state of Washington, this is true, in the state of Washington, it is illegal to harass Bigfoot. Apparently, the state legislatures in Washington believe Bigfoot actually exists. It's on the book. In Georgia, now we're getting close to home. In Georgia, it is illegal to allow a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. That's our neighboring uh, Georgians came up with that one. Why do those laws sound crazy? Have you ever read a policy manual for a business or a church or anywhere else, an organization, and seen a rule in there that sounds kind of crazy? Here's what you got to understand. When you read a law that sounds crazy, there is a story behind it. I've read policy manuals before and seen this crazy, crazy rule, and I've said, I want to hear the story behind that because it must be crazy. Do you know why in Georgia it's illegal to allow a donkey to sleep in a bathtub? Back in 1924, there was a merchant who had an old donkey, and in his barn there was a big old bathtub, And he allowed the donkey to sleep at night in this big old bathtub. And in 1924, a huge flood came to that town, flooded the barn, picked up the bathtub with the donkey in it, and residents looked out, and going down Main Street, there was a bathtub with a donkey in it. 
the donkey wound up in a ditch and he began to bray and to scream and to yell. He was stuck in the ditch trying to get out of the bathtub and the city had to spend thousands of dollars to rescue the donkey. So the lawmakers came together and said, we're never going to do this again. From now on, it's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. There's a story behind crazy-sounding laws. Now, there are some crazy-sounding laws in the third book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. Yes, that book, you skipped over that time. We're coming back to it today, and we're going to hear some crazy-sounding laws. Leviticus 19.27 forbids rounded haircuts. You were not, the men were not to trim the edges of their hair or the edges of their beard. You couldn't get a trim. Leviticus 11.8 is one of my favorites. Some people say that Leviticus 11.8 forbids football. Because Leviticus 11.8 says that you cannot touch the dead skin of an unclean animal, which includes pigs. And a football is called a pig skin. So they stretch that to the point of saying Leviticus forbids football even though modern footballs are made from cowhide. I expected you to laugh there, but it's okay. It's one of those awkward moments. Uh, Leviticus 19.28, forbid marking on the skin, any type of tattoos in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19.19 says, you can't wear polyester. said, really? I looked in my Strong's Concordance and the word polyester is not in the King James. Well, the Israelites were forbidden from weaving different types of cloth together. Then we come to the most difficult one of all, our beloved shrimp. Are y'all ready for this? Some of you that love shrimp, you just need to brace yourselves right now. Just grab somebody by the hand and say, honey, it's going to be okay. Pastor Andy's going to finish this up. Leviticus 11.10 says this, but you must never eat animals from the sea or from rivers that do not have both fins and scales. They are detestable to you. Oh no. The Bible just said, I couldn't eat shrimp. Now, I want to tell you even worse, folks, and I could not even bring myself to read this verse. The Bible says that we can't eat bacon. And you guys that know me know that I had a hard time even saying that this morning. If there was anything in Leviticus about donuts, I don't know what I would even do. Why is this in the Bible? Why would God tell the children of Israel not to eat shrimp, and to prohibit them from doing some other things that seem meaningless and harmless to us. You can hear people say this, and this is what I want to equip you to be able to answer. You hear people say this, well, the Bible says. How many of you know when you say the Bible says? That's a very loaded introduction that I'm going to teach you how to work with just a little bit. The Bible says that you cannot eat shrimp, and it does. The book of Leviticus says that. If you say, they say, if you say that you believe the Bible and still eat shrimp or wear polyester clothes or eat bacon or trim the edges of your beard, if you say you believe the Bible and do any of those things, you are a hypocrite and you can't say anything to me. Anybody ever dealt with that? Yeah. yeah. Crazy laws. What do they mean? Well, first of all, when a person says the Bible says, that is a very broad 
overgeneralization of something that we need to understand because the Bible is a library. It's not a single book. And we need to understand that. Do you understand that today? We think of the Bible as a book. The word is from the, the word biblios, which means many books. You put a bibliography at the end of your term paper. Go to a library in Spanish. Biblio is, is the first, is a prefix of the word. It means many books. The Bible is a library of 66 different books brought together. These books were written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors They were originally written, these books, to many, many different audiences. And what we have to understand is that you interpret a passage in the Bible differently based on which book it was in, written by which author, to which audience. You don't interpret everything in the Bible the same. Anybody have a red letter Bible? Those words of Jesus? Oh yeah. But when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, has anyone ever read Ecclesiastes here? Ecclesiastes, you have to understand who wrote it, the conditions under the writing of it, who it was written to, to really understand how to interpret that book. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon at the end of his life when he said these words, everything is vanity. In other words, everything is empty. How do you reconcile that with Jesus saying, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly? I could literally say if I wanted to, the Bible says everything is vanity. Here's how you interpret Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who wrote it at the end of his life, rebelled against God. Solomon had hundreds of wives and even more associate wives. Trying to be nice here. Work with me a little bit. Y'all tough crowd this morning. Come on now. Solomon had hundreds of women. He broke the laws of God. That's one of the big things that took Solomon down were his many, many wives. He broke God's law. So at the end of his life, he tried to accumulate wealth and women and possessions and fame and glory. He did all the things God explicitly told him not to do. So at the end of his life, what do you expect? When you rebel against God, you wind up disillusioned. What is Ecclesiastes telling us? Ecclesiastes is not telling us the Bible says everything is vanity. Ecclesiastes is telling us this. If you rebel against the law of God and do what he tells you not to do and ignore his commandments, you can end up like Solomon, owning everything but being bankrupt in your spiritual life. That's the message of that book. Do you understand? You interpret it differently. The Bible must be studied in context. Say that word with me, context. Context means where did you get it from? There are people who want to cherry pick Bible verses out and they'll just take a verse and they'll make a meme out of it and put it on the internet to say, the Bible says this crazy thing. When you pull a verse out of context, you really mess up. You don't understand it if you don't understand context. A couple years ago, a couple asked Alex and I to go to the movies with them, and we went to see Pirates of the Caribbean. I understand that when you say Royal Caribbean, it's Caribbean, but it's supposed to be Pirates of the Caribbean. Somebody's going to have to help me with that. <laughs> the problem is they invited me to see Pirates 3, and I'd never seen one or two. 
And when you haven't seen one or two, you understand that three was made for the audience that has seen one and two and loved it. Why would you go to three if you haven't seen one and two and loved it? So I'm sitting there in three and I'm watching and I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) This guy walks on the screen and everybody cheers and I'm like, who is that? At the end, this lady comes out and people start crying. And I'm like, these people know things that I don't know. That's called context. I had no context from which to watch that movie. I had not been involved in the story. Do you understand the Bible is a big, long love story between God and man from Genesis all the way to Revelation? It is a progressive story that unfolds as the Bible moves forward. You don't have the whole picture in the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to the New, and the New Testament is substance. The Old Testament is the shadow of great things that were to come. So when you read Leviticus, you've got to understand the story is not over yet. When you cherry-pick scriptures, you're going to mess up. You ready to fess up this morning? I want to see your hands if you've ever done this. Have you ever just really needed a word from God and you're just like, God, give me a word? And you open up your Bible and point. <laughs> Let's be honest. How many of us have ever done that? Pastor's hand is up, so maybe that makes you feel a little better. Now, how many have ever had a good verse jump out at you doing that? It's worked from time to time. They're like, man, that's good. I've told this story, though, a million times, but the guy is desperate. He's all upset, and he says, God, I've got to have a word, and he opens his Bible, and he points, and it said, and Judas went out and hanged himself. (laughs) He's like, shuts his Bible. Nope, I'm going to try a second one. So he goes again, and it says, go thou and do likewise. And he's like, oh, let's go for the third one. And he puts his finger back on the third one, and it says, what thou doest, do quickly. (laughs) Maybe that story will break you from the habit of cherry-picking Bible verses. God's Word is a great word, and it's a long word, and we must let the Bible interpret the Bible. You guys getting a Bible college education this morning, all right? To properly interpret the Bible, you must ask, where is the passage in Scripture? Different books are interpreted differently. And the first question you ask, who was this written to? The book of Leviticus was written to the nation of Israel, very specifically, after God called them out of Egypt, called them to walk through the wilderness supposedly they were headed to the promised land and they were supposed to go there quickly, but because of their stubborn hearts, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and God gave them very specific laws for them. You ever read the Old Testament and say, man, there are a lot of rules. There are rules all over. You know what God was doing? God was telling them the requirements they were to live up to and none of them did it. Nobody. Moses failed. 
Leaders failed, followers failed, and everybody in between failed. Because the message of the Old Testament is this. You cannot be holy apart from Jesus Christ. That's why we needed Him. Paul said the law was my tutor, my schoolmaster, my guide that pointed me to Jesus Christ. When I read the rule book, I think, man, I am not making it. Anybody else? Anybody else read the rule book and say, man, I've got failure in my life. That's a good thing. Because it shows you that you can't do it. And it points you to the New Testament, to the one who can, Jesus Christ. Amen. And he can, for he is the righteousness of God. We find that in Christ Jesus. Why did God say this specifically to the children of Israel? I think there's a couple reasons we can just look at. A possible reason and one that I think is definite. Possibly God was protecting their health. Shrimp are filter feeders. They clean up things from the bottom of the sea. I was eating a big plate of shrimp one day, and a guy, really nice guy, stopped by and told me, he said, you don't eat stuff that eats trash. I really appreciated that at the time, and I finished my shrimp. If shrimp are not properly prepared, they can contain live bacteria, and they can make you sick. That's true of other foods as well. That we need to understand as well, God was taking care of their health because they were on, if you will, a, about a 40-year camping trip with over 2 million people through the wilderness. And I think a few cleanliness and dietary standards might have been more important to them at that time than they even are to us today. God kept them healthy through this period of time. So God was possibly protecting their health. And I would have to say there's no legal requirement today in the New Testament that we follow a kosher diet, but the kosher diet certainly would have, I believe, some health benefits to it. So maybe God was watching out for their health, but I'll tell you something he was certainly doing. God was certainly maintaining their distinction as a nation. Here's what you've got to understand. The nation of Israel had been in captivity and slavery to Egypt for about 400 years. And this was a polytheistic society that worshipped many false gods. And the danger of the nation of Israel was losing their national identity. So when God called them out of Egypt, he said, there are some rules that you're going to follow to maintain your distinction as a nation. And one of them is going to be your diet. He had them dress differently. He had them cut their hair differently. He had them cut some other things differently. I did not mean to say that. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and we don't have any delay online. Online audience, you're just with us here. <laughs> Take me a minute to get over that one. Um, they were to be distinct. Now, let me tell you, diet will make you distinctive. We often fellowship with people who eat the same things we do. And we have a rough time fellowshipping with people who don't, right? Am I, am I just honest about it? You ever figure out where you're going to eat and uh, there's like four different people in the car who are on four different diets? You ever go out with somebody who eats completely differently from you and you're like, oh, this ain't going to work out. There's all kind of diets here at Upward today. Some are on keto. Go ahead, you can say... Anybody? <laughs> We're a healthy bunch here. Carnivore. <laughs> vegan. We've got some vegans here today. Pray for those. They'll be up here for prayer later. 
Any CrossFitters here today? You know how to tell if somebody's doing CrossFit? They'll tell you. They'll tell you. You don't have to figure it out. They'll tell you. <laughs> stop laughing or y'all get me rolling and I won't finish. Just stop. You want to have a tough time? Do this. Jump on a diet that's different from what your spouse is doing. Oh, that's a recipe for disaster there, literally. You're in trouble if you do that. Why? Diet makes you distinct. God did not want them sitting down at a table with some people because they were so weak that they couldn't hang out with people that were different from them. And God said, you must maintain your national identity. Okay, let's jump into the question, into the heart of it, because I have to quit at some point today, and I'm having too much fun. Is it wrong today for a Christian to eat shrimp, eat bacon, get a tattoo, wear polyester, trim their beard? Let's just be honest. Some people in the building think that tattoo one ought to still be there. Nobody's saying amen. Good. If you jump in and say everybody today has to follow the Old Testament Levitical law, you got to take them all. You don't get to just pick your favorites. I'm going to go off script today. The New Testament church struggled with this too. The New Testament church had a battle with this. We tend to think those people who got filled with the Holy Spirit and started spreading the gospel were just all wonderful and just loved each other. They were fighting within a week of the day of Pentecost because they're like us, filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're still people. They were fighting over people not getting served enough, and there were even racial divisions and prejudices still there. They had to struggle through. And one of the things the Jews had to struggle through is because Jesus preached the gospel primarily to the Jews. Most of them were Jews. The Holy Spirit primarily, the day of Pentecost, Jews. So they struggle with this. And the Jewish believers thought, yeah, to be a Christian, you've also got to be Jewish. To be a Christian, you've, you can come into the church and be a part of us, but you've got to take on all these dietary laws and all these civil and ceremonial laws. You've got to do this just like we do. So there's a big controversy in the church. They had a meeting in Acts 15. It's called the Council. The, the Council of Jerusalem, Acts 15. They all came together, and they all tried to decide, what are we going to do with all these Gentile believers who don't follow all our Old Testament rules? And I love, I believe it was Peter. It was either Peter or James that said this. He stood up before the council and said, listen, guys, we're trying to put a bunch of rules on them that none of us ever kept anyway. We couldn't bear this ourselves, and now we're putting it on these Gentiles? Peter's saying, calm down with all the rules, guys. Some of y'all need to hear this really big time. The Bible's a love letter. It's not a rule book. Some of you looking at the Bible all the time as a rule book full of do's and don'ts. It's God reaching out to mankind and redeeming mankind through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jerusalem Council only came up with two or three rules. They said, just do these couple of things and you're good. It's been a struggle since the beginning. Can Christians eat bacon-wrapped shrimp? I'm happy to say to you, yes, yes, yes. I had shrimp and grits yesterday, yes. And it had sausage in it as well. I just thought, well, I'm going to go for it. There were three types of laws in the Old Testament. There was civil law, which governed criminal and judicial matters and matters of state. 
That was important to them because at the time, God was manifesting himself on earth through one nation, through the nation of Israel, and they had to maintain national identity and civil structure. Then there was the ceremonial laws, which includes these dietary laws, which includes worship practices and priestly duties. Those are the ones you really get sick of when you're reading through Leviticus and you realize how they have to dip their finger in blood and do this and that and the other. It all has really important symbolism, but it was the ceremonial law. Then there was the moral law of the Old Testament, which related to God's nature, his love for mankind and our love for him. What did Jesus say? about his role with God's law. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I came to fulfill the purpose of the law. Again, the purpose of the law was to tell you and I that we could not be righteous in our own strength, but that we needed a savior. Here's what Jesus did. First of all, Jesus made the civil law unnecessary for us today. We do not have to honor the civil law of the nation of Israel because Jesus has now said, I'm not going to one nation. He said, you, when he left, the last orders he gave us was go into all nations and preach the gospel. So it's not confined to a single nation. Every tribe, every tongue, every race, Every creed, every culture will be represented in the kingdom of God. Can I get it? Amen. Now, Jesus, secondly, the ceremonial law. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. I love that. The ceremonial law was how to be holy, and nobody could do it. Jesus died so that he could impart his holiness into our lives. And the Bible said, now through Jesus Christ, we wear royal robes of righteousness and we're clothed in white and the righteousness of God is available to us. How do you get it? By work? No, by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. Some of you trusting too much in you. You're trusting in your strength. You're trusting in some promise you make or some deal you make or something you're going to do. Forget that now. You're going to fail again if you do it in your own strength. If you think you're going to go out of here and beat addiction in your own strength, you're wrong. Jesus Christ will defeat it, though, in your life as you express faith in him. Say, Pastor, doesn't God still want us to be distinct? Oh, yes, he does. But what distinguishes us now is not our dress and it's not our diet. It's the work that Jesus has done in our hearts. We have distinct hearts. We forgive when others don't. We smile when others frown. We love the unlovable. We serve those who hurt us. We love our enemies. We bless those that curse us. When everybody else is down and bemoaning how bad the world is, we have a smile on our face because our hope is not in this world or of this world. It's in the world that is to come. Can I get an amen this morning? Our distinction is our heart. Then here's what Jesus did. What about the moral law? Got good news for you today. Jesus affirmed the moral law. In fact, he intensified the moral law. How do we know murder is still wrong? Somebody thinking, wow, Pastor Andy just tossed out the whole Old Testament. Ten commandments are gone. I'm payback time. <laughs> you know, the Ten Commandments were all reaffirmed in the New Testament. When you're reading an Old Testament law, a good question to ask yourself is, is that reaffirmed by Jesus? Is that reaffirmed by the New Testament church? 
Jesus intensified them. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother unrighteously, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus took the law, the moral law, from an external observance into the heart. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus, God prophesied this in the Old Testament. He said, the day is coming when the law will not be written on external tablets of stone, but I will write my law on their hearts. The moral law is still in force. You say, Pastor, that means I've got to go pick out in the Old Testament what's moral, what's civil, and what's ceremonial, and I've got to get this all figured out. No, you don't. Let the Holy Spirit bring Jesus alive in your heart today by faith. Go to God and say, Lord, I failed. Anybody failed? Anybody fail yesterday? Saw a few hands go up and down real quick. <laughs> I failed recently. Whoever said coming to Jesus meant you would never fail again. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. When we sin, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instead of running to the Bible every day and every moment as a rule book to follow... Put your faith in Jesus. See, here's what Jesus did. Jesus made a way for us to live out the moral law. Walk with him. And let him straighten you out. He wants your heart. Give him that. And then walk with him. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that says once you give your heart to Jesus, you're just going to be perfect overnight. Because you've got a heart that's transformed by Jesus when you put faith in Him. But you've still got this old body. This old body's tough. This old body's decaying. My old body stings this morning. I celebrated my anniversary at the beach this week. don't know why I did that. I do things that I say I will not do. <laughs> you got a great heart in a body that's still decaying and in a mind that's been trained to think the wrong way. But you know what? When you give Jesus your heart and you walk with him, he will surely and steadily begin to change your behavior and but change the way you think and change the way you love. And he'll cause you to see him. This is not reading a rule book and trying to do your best. This is an adventure with a relationship with the creator of the universe who died for you and who died to pour his life into you. Read the Bible differently. Not as a rule book. Anybody ever gotten a love letter? Can I see your hands? You ever gotten a love letter? Do you still have any of them? Hopefully you only have certain ones <laughs> or this could cause trouble at home. 
when my wife and I first started dating, we'd spent some time apart. There was a time we were teaching in different schools and we were living in different towns in Honduras for a while. And uh, we would write letters to each other. And she'd write me these long letters. I don't know if people do this anymore. Do, do you write letters at all anymore? Is it all text message or whatever now? I don't know. Some people maybe still do. But you'd write them. And you had a special way to fold them. Draw little hearts on them. She did. I never drew hearts. I just, to be honest. But uh, I'd get her love letters. And I'd open them up. And I would read them really quickly the first time. I wanted to get the whole picture of it. Then I'd go back and read it again. Because I wanted to find out what she really meant by that. I'd look at certain words and I'd think, what does that mean? Am I back in the friend zone? (laughs) Is she saying she loves me or what? What I'm trying to say is I'd study those letters. Because I love the author. And the author loved me. That's how you go to the Bible. It's a love letter that the author is in love with you to the point of giving the life of his own son. Amen. 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 Now, the action step out of this sermon is to go get some bacon-wrapped shrimp (laughs) and to eat it with joy and freedom. Oh, we've had too much fun today. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, we love you and thank you so much for today. Thank you for the wonderful time together. Thank you for this just room just packed full of people, God, that love you and serve you. Jesus, help us to read your word properly. Help us to understand the library of books and the different authors, the different voices, the different audiences. God, I pray that you will birth in this church a hunger for your word that we would just dissect it. We would read it as a love letter. We can't wait to get to. That we would study it, not out of just intellectual curiosity, but a passion for a relationship with you. Jesus, just awaken that. I believe you're bringing an awakening to us, to our nation, and around the world. I believe people are awakening to who you really are, Jesus. God, we want to be a part of that. Stir our hearts to love your word. And God, when we're faced with people who misunderstand and twist the scriptures, may we have a clear answer. Father, I pray for those here today who are indeed struggling. Struggling to do it their own way. Struggling to try to be holy apart from you. And I just ask you today, Jesus, that they may know the freedom of just surrendering to you. If you're here today and you're struggling, you're trying to live right, you're trying to live up to the rules, but you're just failing again and again and again, just give it to Jesus this morning. Give him your heart. Pray this prayer, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you everything I am. I failed on my own. I've made my own mistakes. I've made my own failures. But Jesus, today, I give it all to you. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a great time today. Thank you for being here today. What a wonderful day. We've got a great fall coming up. We're really excited. Uh, We've got a series coming up. We've got three more weeks in this. Then we've got a series coming up later this fall called Canceled. 
We're going to talk about everything the Bible says that is canceled. And there's some good stuff that's canceled off of you in Jesus Christ. We're going to do a series called Family Matters. We're going to talk about family. We're going to have some fun with that one. In just a few weeks, we're going to do a bilingual service. Uh, We're going to have worship in English and in Spanish. And then Pastor Joel and I are going to preach together in English and Spanish. And that's going to be fun. And I've already twisted Pastor Joel's arm. Both of us are going to do a section in our weak language, which is going to be really fun. (laughs) Get ready to laugh on that Sunday, especially those of you who know both. All right. Great things are ahead, and we're excited about it and glad that you're a part of it. Let me bless you today. The Word says this, and I want to speak this blessing over you. The Bible said, He that the Son is set free is free indeed. And I bless you today with a freedom in Jesus Christ that's greater than you knew before, greater than anything you've ever known. It's as if God is just peeling layers off that you didn't even know were there. Shackles are falling off your life. And you will have a freedom and a joy in Jesus Christ. And you'll have a relationship with Him that goes far beyond any religion you've ever experienced. I speak freedom over you for the Son has set you free. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. I commission you in that power and with the authority of Christ. Go into your community, into your world, and share Jesus' life. Amen. Amen. Love y'all. Love you so much. Thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.